Yeah. 
to worship with us together in this place and in the spiritual place online you're with us in spirit we believe that we are one in the spirit no matter where you are in the world no listening to this this sermon this service may it bless you all the same because the spirit is the same in us and in you and he has no boundaries. So we thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to continue to worship. Shouting anthems, singing, holy, holy, 
Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe. Yes, we can see it. Wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still being raised. Giants are still being slain. God, we believe. Yes, we can see wonders are still what you do we are here for you come and do what you do we are here for you come and do what you do set our hearts on
you 
into a new time after the last year and a half we're kind of coming into a, a new um, way of existence in California specifically globally it's different as according to the nation but I'm going to speak to this house specifically and it's going to influence our partners that are listening as well but the Lord wants us to be one. You know what? I, I'm going to call out Mark Perry, a conversation I had with him. Mark, I don't mean to embarrass you, but Mark's been around the whole time since we've been pastors and kind of gone with us through some of our twists and turns. And I remember talking to him once about leadership and talking about certain volunteers and he said, oh, that's a good person because I know they don't have an agenda. I know they don't have an agenda. And I remember what a great perspective because there was no, he was telling me by that conversation, there's no fleshly agenda there to do something that they want to do. And I thought about how easy it is for us to take on philosophies from the world or the religious world and it creates an agenda that we don't even know that we have that we connect somehow to our spiritual walk which it should never have been connected to that okay i'm going to build this here last night i had a and this was a dream i was going through an obstacle course and the obstacle course and what i mean by that it was i was um like in a yosemite or in a like in a wilderness type of thing but there was a lot of different ecosystems so i was by a river going over a boulder then i went through like a desert and then i so i was going through this obstacle, and part of it was very dark there was kind of cave-like parts to it and at the end i was coming out of the cave into the light and it was a bright light and it was actually i came into like a sanctuary actually it was like it was this sanctuary in front of you all and on me was two snakes around each of my legs and I looked at those snakes and they weren't you know big snakes they were more like a garden gardener snake and they were wrapped around my legs but they're holding on very tightly and even in my body in the middle of the night I could feel like tightness around my legs you know what I mean and I pulled them totally creeped me out and I pulled them off but they were very trying to cling to my leg so I pulled it off right in front of you and then I got the other one and I pulled it off and threw it in front of you and I woke up and I'm like whoa that was a pretty weird dream 
And it kind of, you know, caused me to have pause and think about it in the middle of the night. And then the Lord began to speak to me about that dream. Because that earlier that day in the morning, while I was preparing for my fill to the brim, I had been, ta- been reading the scripture, John 17, which was Jesus' prayer for us. Not the Lord's prayer where he teaches people how to pray, but his prayer over his disciples and over us. And this is what he says, John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Jesus, he could have chose anything to pray for us about. But what he prayed for us about is unity. Oneness. In the midst of our diversity, every last one of you are different. In your perspectives on things, even your journey over the last year and a half, no two journeys have been alike. And Jesus says, I want them to be one. So then he goes on to say, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. What a powerful statement. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. There is no division in the Godhead that they may be one just like we are one. In them, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. One of the greatest challenges to the body of Christ is not allowing the enemy to create division due to differences. Due to our differences. See, the world is divided the enemy loves division because he allows or through division creates powerlessness so the world divides man-made religion divides but jesus says i want my children my body to be united division is not the will of the lord when i'm talking about my dream i would ask the lord i said lord what is it that's trying to as i'm coming out of this time where i don't see everything i'm in the shadows i come out what is it that is on me and the lord says you are the body and what the enemy's trying to do is attach something to you that doesn't belong there and you need to bind it and loose it bind the power of it and get it off of you get it off the body it does not belong there and I said well what are those things and he says the thoughts of the world about things and the thoughts of religious folk about things I said Lord we don't want that in this house now the thing is this the truth is this a lot of times when we come up against people who don't think like we do our response is one to try to get them to think like we do Two, reject them because they don't think criticize them reject them push back 
And they and we sometimes believe what the world says. Those are our own two responses. But that's neither of those are God's response. His response, he has a third option. Love them. <laughs> Scripture says, see, the power of love is what caused us to come to salvation. Because God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the power of love. And we act like the power of love is just not enough for 2021. But for the church, the power of love is enough. And we are called to be Jesus' love to people. Let me read to you the scripture in Colossians 3. Because this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is working with the church. Jesus' church in Colossae. And he is telling them now you are all different than each other. You come from different worldviews. You come from different lifestyles. You come from different even religions. Because he talks about Jew and Gentile. Let me just read this. Colossians 3 verse 9. For you have stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new spiritual self who is being continually renewed in true knowledge in the image of him who created this new self. A renewal in which there is no no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, nor between nations, whether barbarian or Scythian, nor in status, whether slave or free, but Christ is all in all. So believers are equal in Christ without distinction. So as God's own chosen people who are holy and well-beloved by God himself put on. Okay, so he says now, before I get to what he says for us to do, he says, I may think one thing about something. And you may think something else about something. But you know what? That doesn't make any difference. We're all one in Christ. So I may be Jew, which I am. And you may be Gentile. And there are certain ways I was brought up and certain ways that you were brought up. But guess what? We're, we're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. And it doesn't matter that I think differently than this. I don't have to make you in my image. I don't make Karina in my image. Listen, there are too many religious folk out there trying to make other people in their image. Jesus makes people in his image. And when I'm trying to make you think what I think about something, I'm trying to make you in my image. Paul, you know what? This is not a new thing. We, the truth is this. There is a lot of conflict that has gone on in the church, the body of Christ, Due to the troubles we have gone through over the last year and a half. And there are a ton of opinions on everything. Some of which have been attached to spiritual people's spiritual walks. And the truth is this. All it's creating is what the enemy wants. And you know what that is? Division. The enemy wants the church divided. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that you would be one. Paul writes, we being many are one body. We being many are one body. We're not all an eye. We're not all an ear. We're not all a belly button. We being many are one body. So Paul's writing here in Colossians. He's saying, listen, you all come from different places. I mean, you can't get any different than a Jew and a Gentile. You can't get any more extreme in differences and points of view, lifestyle, food, whatever, than a Jew and a Gentile. 
And he's saying, guess what? And you have a new self. And there's no distinction between you in Christ. And we're not going to let division do this. So let us do this. We're going to put on something new. So believers are equal in Christ without distinction. So as God's own chosen people who are holy and well beloved by God himself, put on, this is what we're going to do. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And beyond all these things, put on an unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You say, Pastor, why are you up here talking? Because we're going to make sure we don't have the enemy's subtle devices of disunity through maybe some of the differences we have because we're going to have unselfish love because what the world needs how to love others that are very different than yourself last week when I preached And this is something that's just been in my spirit. If you see me, you see Jesus. And for God so loved the world. We have to make sure we don't allow any of these things that are being stirred up, even by the world, or by even some people with religious agendas to attach to things. If you do this, then you're a good believer. If you don't do this, you're a bad believer. Those types of things. If you wear this, you're a good believer. If you don't wear this, you're a bad believer. You understand what I'm saying? And what Jesus has called us to do is say, I've called you to love one another. I called you to unselfish love because what's your power to this world is the love of God. It has never changed. For God so loved the world. The power of the body of Christ is the love of God. We are one through the love of Jesus. And God is challenging us. God is challenging us in our spirits, in our worldviews, in our thoughts, taking things captive. Maybe in our journey we've attached, we've had a lot of feeding systems coming to us about what we should think about certain things and those feeders are not in agreement with the love of God those those feeders those things those thoughts are not in agreement with unity of the body and the enemy is behind disunity and I want us to commit to saying we being many are one body in other words you can think differently than I can about this you can be vaccinated you can be unvaccinated I don't have to make you be like me you don't have to and and that's just one example you can vote which way you want to vote you don't have to be like me Because we being many, we being different than each other, are one body. Are one body. 
this isn't just the challenge for the U.S. This is the challenge globally for the church. Sometimes we get very focused on ourselves monoculturally. We are a body together, one. And Christ said, I am glorified when you are one. If the light's not shining bright, then possibly we're allowing division. Because we have selfish love rather than unselfish love. We're going into a new season of a new thing. This is a new thing for us. And what the Lord is saying, you're going to have the priority of love. There are hurting people out there that need to know about Jesus' love. I mean, they need to know Jesus' love. One of my favorite people, one of my heroes in the faith is Mother Teresa. And she has this quote, when we judge others, we leave no room to love them. I'm so busy judging you, I can't love you. And the church wasn't called to judge. We are called to love. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand up. The Lord wants us to have a flow, a river of love over this house in a new way, in a greater way. Say, well, is there some division? We have all this division going on. No. You know what? I'm a proactive person. What we do is we get ahead of it. We get ahead of it. We say, you know what? I'm not going to do something. I'm going to make sure that I'm not doing Because you know what? There's so many opportunities and it's, I mean, there's so many things that can create division. So many things beyond some of the things that the world's really hammering us on. So many things in our spirits. Division in our home. Division in our marriage. Division in how we spend our money. Division in the church. Division in what ministry is important in the church. What ministry should somebody go to and whatever. So many, so much division can happen so easily. It is not the will of the Lord for us to have a spirit of division that they may be one for my glory. And you know what? I want us to reject because there's a lot of advocates out there and I've listened to some of them and I don't think they're, they're necessarily an evil intent upon them but they're advocates for certain things which stirs division stirs division stirs rejection of people stirs the fact that you got to think like me and do what I'm doing or less you're not a good Christian or whatever a good person and you know what that's not what Jesus ever said and that was never what was taught let us fix our eyes on Jesus and his word because this world needs the church to be love and not fake love not shallow love not conditional love but unconditional love for people and they will know us by our love for first one another unity and our love for them Lord we say over this house baptize us in your love again we know that in ourselves we can't do it in ourselves we can react easily out of the flesh or out of our own priorities of what we think people should do 
our, having the answers in ourselves. But Lord, you have said, you know what? Surrender those things to me. The priority over all things is my love. My love for you and my love through you to others. Lord, you want to glorify yourself through our lives. You pray for us. Lord, thank you for praying for us. Out of everything you prayed, you said that they would be one. You didn't even say, oh, that power. You said that they would be one. Because you knew from their oneness that would flow everything else. So, Lord, we protect the unity. The unity of the bond of love. Not saying everybody has to think the same or do the same or feel the same. But rather, no matter what, we love each other. We love each other. That we have abundant love and we appreciate our differences. We appreciate the different perspectives. We appreciate the different journeys everybody has been on. Because they contribute a perspective of who you are to them. What you've done in their life. And it's a compliment. It's a compliment to what the body is to be. Different, but united. Having diversity, but oneness. And Lord, I just declare this over this house that we will not be deceived or entangled by the thoughts of the world that, oh, how they want to divide us. How the enemy wants to use the thoughts, the philosophies of the world to divide the church. Lord, I say over this house, over our partners, we will not be divided by the philosophies of the world. And even how the religions of the world even amongst the believers the christian believers how different perspectives on things of the religious folk can try to divide us lord we reject that we tear it off the legs of us it will not prevent us from moving forward we tear off the world's views we tear off the religious views and we move forward towards you lord jesus because you said to me, tell the people, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you say, well, there might be another storm. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Right now, fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of us, come on, let's just loose those chains. Those things that have tried to attach themselves to us. And a lot of times it can come with some anger that we may have about stuff. Let, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. God wants to renew you. He wants to baptize you in the love of God. In the love of God for other people. He wants to baptize you in his love the power of his love 
There is nothing greater than the power of his love. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place right now. Right now, right now. It's a moment between you and him. put on my heart that I don't really want to say and this is the fact about this word it's like really Lord I don't really want to talk about this because it's so like awkward sometimes and you know what the Lord tells me I just want to be honest I do it do it you see I want to give you a little inside scoop on your pastors when I, you hired us, when you hired me, these were the keys I was handed. It's pretty heavy. And sometimes when I look at these keys, I see the responsibility that the Lord has given to me to this house. There will be a day I won't have these keys. There will be. But for now and for this period in the history of this church... The Lord has given me these keys. And when I was wrestling with this word in the middle of the night last night, he kept showing me the keys. And then he said, you know what, Lynn? I have given you the keys to bind and loose. I said, Lord, I don't really want to address unity, division, issues. And the Lord said, but you know what? When you address it, you bind what the enemy's trying to do and you loose the power of God over your house so if you ever think that there's any ill intent on our side of what we proclaim there isn't but rather it's us doing exactly what the Lord has asked us to do so this house becomes the oak of righteousness that it is called, the Lord has called, not for just you in this generation, but for your children and your children's children and your children's children. You say, one thing that I am saying over this house, this house will stand. This house will stand no matter what storm comes. This house will stand no matter what the enemy throws at it. This house will stand no matter what the government tries to do. This house will stand. It will stand and it will not only stand, it will not be some sort of frail thing. It's going to be an oak of righteousness. It's going to be a blessed house. It's going to be a house that prospers and it's going to even prosper when nothing else
surround it prospers because God is with it. And so the goal, the desire of your pastors is to remove anything that's going to try to steal, kill, and destroy that. So it's never the intent, never the intent to offend, but it's always the intent to empower, always the intent to identify the deception that the enemy's trying to bring over us together or individually. And we declare over this place, we are one. We are one. As Jesus has prayed, we are one. We declare. Say amen with me. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Come on, Nick. Come on down here. Happy Memorial Day. We can let us honor the families who have had fallen soldiers in their in their lives, their sons, daughters, grandparents. Let us honor those families and appreciate. Crossroads. Uh, I just want to welcome you time guests. We have cards out in front of you at the back of the pews. You can fill those out, put your name down, uh, contact info, and pass it in the offering. Uh, it is Memorial Day weekend, and in serving, there's sacrifices that are made. And we just want to honor those people who have made those sacrifices, and the families too, because it's a family sacrifice as well. So take time to remember and honor those people. Send notes to anybody who has served that you know. Uh, offer help to those who lost people who served. We have a weekly e-newsletter that comes in the mail, or the email, sorry, <laughs> every week. And if you're not receiving those, it's a great way to just stay on top of what our church is doing, all the new events coming up. Uh, we have youth stuff going on all the time. We have uh, children's ministry. So I encourage you guys, write this email down, tlopez at ccsmh.org. Uh, you can go ahead and email her and say, I'd like to be signed up for uh, the weekly e-newsletter and she'll hook you up. So we have lots of gathering opportunities as well, not just youth, uh, children's ministry, but also men's group, women's group. Um, there's a group for everybody. If you like sitting down, drinking coffee, there's a group for that. If you love running around, playing basketball, slam dunking, getting rough, there's a group for that too. Um, if you like reading books together too, uh, there's groups that get together and read. So, again, email Teresa if you want more info. We have daily devotions going on every day. Pastor Lynn does Filled to the Brim. You can search it on YouTube. It's called Filled to the Brim. <laughs> Just look it up, plain and simple. Um, if you're more of a reader and you'd rather read it, 
There's also email that we could send to you. It's a daily devotion. Um, for me, I know I pop on scripture all the time or devotions all the time and just do daily tasks. And it's a way of being filled while physically doing something too. We have Tuesday evening open gym, 6.30 to 8.30. The guys get together, we play. It gets rough sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's more laid back. It's a great way to invite somebody who doesn't know Christ. And it just opens up doors for them because when they're around a group of guys who are praying for each other, read a little bit of scripture in the beginning and have a Christ-like atmosphere in their life, they're gonna taste part of that and they're gonna want more and more. And it'll turn them on to church or other activities. So I encourage you guys, invite friends. Uh, it's not just for men, even though right now the group is all guys. Uh, girls, if you're super athletic or even have just the interest of playing, I invite you guys, it's for everybody. Uh, praise God, we had baptisms last week and it was amazing. We had a total of five people baptized, a child, young youth, adult, and a married couple. Um, COVID's not gonna stop the work of the church and the, the advancement of the gospel. So praise God for everything that he's doing in individual lives of Crossroad. Um, Saturday, June 5th, that's right around the corner. That's Bob Sava's memorial service. And here in the picture, you could even see he served. So let's honor him. Cecile Benz passed away May 4th. Um, she loved the Lord and served Jesus in so many ways. And she left us a legacy t here too. We have Lauren Benz, we have Danielle Benz, we have Danny Benz, who I forgot to mention for her service. Um, I'm so thankful that her faith was passed on generations. And they saw what it's like to love Christ, and they're going to pass that on to you. We have a welcome to the newest edition in Crossroads. Correct me if I'm saying it wrong. Abia Joy Martinez. <laughs> Pastor Sandy and Matthew Martinez have such a beautiful girl who's just going to impact the world and bring many around. So uh, we have Tongues of Fire worship service Friday, June 25th at 8 p.m. It's going to be a bilingual service. Uh, we're going to be joining our ministry partners in India, Nepal, and Lebanon. Join us live at 8 p.m. Uh, again, this isn't just online. It's also in service, so come. Uh, there's just something about being in presence of other followers. Um, and the Holy Spirit's just going to jump around the room, candle to candle. It's going to be amazing. So... Uh, pray for our missionaries. We're going to highlight a family this week. It's Jose and Ashley Talavera. Um, Jose is special to us, and so same with Ashley. They were actually here, housed 
at Crossroads. Uh, Jose served as the youth pastor and Ashley taught in Crossroads Christian Schools. Um, they have three children and what they do is plant churches in Spain. Right now they're currently in the States traveling around um, trying to just raise funds for their next trip out to Spain again. And it's hard right now. COVID's going on, uh, travel restrictions are applied. Um, and it could be a little nerve wracking, but we just pray peace over them. We pr pray for protection. We pray for favor. And we pray for the funds to be met met more than what is expected so as we bow our heads and uh, get ready for tithes and the offerings um, if you don't have your checkbook or cash on you right now this instant don't worry you could uh, come stop by at the church another time uh, put in an envelope there's envelopes in the back seat as well for tithes and offering mark it what you want for it um, and people online, you could visit our website and also um, slip some money in there, uh, tithes and offerings. Just mark it again, what you want. Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to meet. Lord, open our eyes to what we have at our dispose. And open our hearts, Lord, to just align your vision with our hearts and give us sight of where we should give lord speak loudly to us in that i pray as we give that you just bless our houses you bless our families and just the act of giving is seen by our children too and they develop hearts to give to those around in jesus name amen faces masked and unmasked and partially masked and uh, all of it it's good to have you all here this morning those of online want to welcome you as well hey I want to just uh, share uh, two things about our missionaries actually three things if I can about our missionaries 
one, do pray for them because of a, we get uh, letters from them and time about the difficulty you're having. A lot of countries are still closed down, not allowing uh, them to uh, operate. Specifically, uh, uh, we got one from our uh, partner in France. And then also, uh, just so you know, the way our missions programs, a lot of them work, we have some missionaries that are residents of countries. They're actually uh, from that nation, and we support them. We also support people that go to those nations. And usually our missionaries, they'll go for uh, three- or four-year periods. So some of them we have at home. We have the privilege next Sunday we're going to have uh, uh, the uh, Chiracs finished up being in Poland. They're going to be with us next Sunday. They're going to share for about 15 or 20 minutes in service. They'll be here with both services, and then we're going to take them out afterwards and just to get to know them. But I want to encourage you to come and listen to them. Uh, these are people that uh, go, uh, and they're, they're actually church planners in Poland as well. So I was really excited. We we're going to have them later on in the summer, uh, and I, I told them, if you have any cancellations of services and uh, you need to do right away, call me. And they called me back later this week and said, we just had someone cancel on us next week, so could we come to your place? I'm like, sure. And that way, they, when they were going to be with us in August, they can, uh, they can go. So we'll have them with us, and it's uh, exciting to see that. Another thing I want to do, I want to show you a couple pictures, because uh, over the last couple years, we have, we have actually planted uh, or partnered, I shouldn't say partnered, we, we, we partnered with churches around the world, uh, and we've built uh, 10 church buildings you hear me? We've built 10 church buildings. Isn't that exciting? And uh, we've also built a home for a pastor. We've also been a missionary uh, training center. So one of the things we have here is uh, on the screen, I want to show you some pictures. A few weeks ago, this was a plot of land. There was no foundation. There was no building. There was nothing. And right now, for the first time, there is a church building in this region that's never had one before. If you go to the next slide, this is the inside of it. This is Pastor uh, Kieran in Nepal, and it's carpeted, there's lights, there's ceiling fans, there's a sound system, there's a pulpit, there's drums, there's bonga, or what do they call those things? Kungas. Kungas? Kongas? I don't know what they're called. I'm not a musician. I'm not a music. I play them when I'm in India. I play them and they laugh at me. That's how musical I am. Uh, and a screen for a projector, mic stands. Everything. When we got these pictures, my wife looked at them and says, this is how a lady builds a church. <laughs> Three weeks ago, it was an open field. Now there's lights and, and fans, and they're having carpet. And then actually, go to the next slide. These are the kids running around the church. Uh, there's more running around the church. Go to the next slide. This is them having a Bible study in the church. Three weeks ago, they'd be sitting on, on the grass. And three weeks later, they have a building, the first church ever built in that region. Isn't that great? Thank the Lord, you know. And I want to show those because it's not about us building a kingdom here. It's about us taking the wealth that we have and blessing the nations. We have a responsibility. Listen to me. We have a responsibility to take care of people that are less fortunate than us, widows and orphans. That is our role as believers. And what we're going to do someday, see, I love these pictures. Look at these beautiful kids. Aren't they adorable? Uh, they are, oh, there, it gets hungry. It makes me want to go get some Nepali food or Indian food after service, you know. They are gorgeous children, and uh, they are the future. You know what's exciting? Some of the children that we, we partner with in, in rescuing them out of sex trafficking and rescuing them out of being orphaned and widowed, uh, we, we are not widowed, rescuing them out of being orphans, they now want to become pastors because they see what the love of God has done in their life, and they want to pass that on to others. 
So we have, a, if we could play that, Danielle, do, can we play that video we have? This little guy up here front, you got to turn the volume up real loud. He is so cute. Look at him. For helping us, for giving food and supporting us. Thank you very much. We love you. That's from Harvest Living Home. That's, uh, they have, we have one boy and six girls. And uh, they're actually where the church was built. Uh, they'll be uh, enjoying that. And, and I, I just want you to see the fruit of what we're doing. And uh, we will always, as long as we're your pastors, we have a very uh, strong burden to bless the nations. And uh, we bless them there. We bless them here. We are continue to see what God's doing. And it's just exciting to partner. Aren't you glad you could do that? You know, someday you're going to see some of these people. And we have, you know, we have partners in Oman and, and France and Poland and all over the Asian continent and South America. And, you know, it's exciting to see what God's doing. And we're going to get to go to those countries. But let me tell you something. Someday you're going to be in the presence of the Lord and someone's going to walk up to you and thank you for what you did for them and introduce you to children and grandchildren. And it's going to be exciting to see what God is, is doing through us. Amen? Doesn't that make you look, make you hungry? I'd love to eat. Hey, let's feast on God's word, okay? We are, uh, we started a new series a few weeks ago. It's talking about what we are as people of the kingdom. And I want to talk to you this morning about what we are as people of the kingdom who are not ashamed of the gospel. You know that right now we're living in a time where uh, there's some persecution against people of faith. There's persecution of those of us that have a faith in Christ. There's persecution about our belief system and what we believe and I want to challenge you, don't allow that to, to thwart what God wants to use you and do in your life. I believe one of the greatest things that we can do is we become people who share the love of Christ with everyone. And you know, the, the power of the tongue, the power of speech is, is a very powerful thing. In the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, in chapter 18, verse 21, it tells us that through, through the tongue there is life and death. Life and death is the ability that we have to speak life or to speak death over people. And what we want to do is we want to be people who are always breathing life into people, that we are people that are encouraging other people to know the Lord. And, and one of the things that often will, will inhibit that in, in people's lives is when they're, they're living under a bondage of shame. You know, shame is a very wicked thing. And, you know, I, I, I was raised, I always tell the kids here at our school, I went to school last century. And I was like, wow, you're that old, you know. But I, I remember being raised in a culture. I wasn't raised in a church home. I was raised in a home that my parents went to church once or twice a year. Uh, I would go and I would sneak out and hang out at the, the uh, gas station across the street. And uh, I was skinny enough, my hands were skinny enough to spit up into the, the cigarette machine and flick out the cigarette packs and reach up and grab sodas and pull them out of the thing. And so the guy at the gas station let me stay there as long as I stole cigarettes and, and soda for him. And uh, I was not raised in, in a, a, a Christian environment. But one of the things I learned is that uh, people live under shame. And what is shame? Shame is the, the, uh, the miserable, and I think it's a really miserable feeling we have, for something we've done that we know we shouldn't have done, or maybe a situation that we've been involved with. You know? And shame is one of those things that is, is interesting because if someone goes through a bad experience, what do we usually say to them? Oh, it's a shame you had to go through that. You know, and what we want to do as people of the gospel, as people of followers of Christ, is we want to bring people out from under shame. 
Shame is not something that the Lord wants his followers or people to live under. And one of the things that's interesting, shame can come in a lot of ways. And there's been a lot of studies done on shame. And, and this last couple of weeks, I've been reading journal articles and reading magazines and reading people talk about shame. And one of the things that's interesting is you can have shame because of something that you do or something that's been done to you, even though you had no responsibility in it. And it's interesting that as you, you go through studies, one of the things that they, they found in, in studies of shame is that people who are living under the oppression of shame usually have a negative image of who they are as a person. Where something bad happened to you, you can feel shame even though you, you weren't responsible for it. Someone else may have done it to you. Another interesting thing that they found in studies, psychologists have found in studies, that there are two categories of people that exhibit higher level of shame uh, than others. First is women. They say that women have a higher level of uh, taking on shame than men. And the second group is adolescence. And uh, they talk about those two groups, which is very interesting because one of, the, one of the scriptures that I want you to turn to and look to to see what the Lord says about shame identifies both of those, those groups. Look with me in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 54, verse uh, 4. It says, this is, this is interesting, the prophet Isaiah prophesies this, and look what he says. Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. So God's word declares over the people that are followers of him that he does not want you to be put under shame, right? Look what it says as you continue. You do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of when? Your youth, or remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. You see, in, in the Middle Eastern culture and in many parts of the world today, uh, a, a person that loses their spouse, a woman that loses her spouse, is, is a, an object of uh, reproach. In, in some countries, they, they, they had what they call widow burning, where when your husband would die, the right thing for you to do would be to kill yourself. I mean, think about that. That's still practiced in, in places around the world. And so what the gospel says is I am not going to allow that shame to be on you as a young person nor upon you as a widow. Let me tell you, the responsibility of believers, our responsibility is to take care of the widows and the orphans. Do you hear me? Our responsibility is to, de to be, be partners and come alongside of them and help them during this process. Okay? And then he, it's interesting. Why would Isaiah say that? Have you ever thought about that? Why does he talk about not having shame or not having a reproach of being a widow? Look at the next verse. Because he, he speaks to the situation very candidly and very pointedly. He says to them, for your maker is whom? Is your husband. If you are ever widowed or you're ever alone, you are not alone in yourself. You have the Lord there as your husband. The Lord that will never leave you. Scripture says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He will always be there for you. In the times where you're alone, the times where you're lonely, the times where you don't know what to do, ask the Lord because He will be there. Who is He? He is the Lord God Almighty. El Shaddai is His name. He is the all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-providing one. And what will He do? He is the Holy One of Israel and He's also your Redeemer. What does a Redeemer do? A redeemer takes something that is lost and brings it back. He brings it to the place where it brought, it's brought the wholeness, it's brought the fullness, it's brought to the favor of God is resting upon you. That's what God does. And he says his name is called the God of all the earth. So one of the things I want to talk to you about this morning is when we're dealing with the concept of shame, God breaks that off of us as believers. 
God wants to replace that, exchange that. God, one of the things we, we tell people all the time, God will always trade up. You know that? He'll trade your dysfunction for function. He'll trade your, uh, your, your low self-esteem for knowing who you are in Christ. He'll trade your sin for salvation. He'll trade your depression for joy. He'll trade all of that. And one of the things God wants to do is he will often, and I love this. This is how the Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul. When he was talking to the church in Corinth in the first century, he told them that God will use the foolish things of the world, right? And he will shame those who think themselves as wise. Hmm, interesting. The only time God shames people is when they think they're smarter than he is. You know? And God shows, I love this, God shows the weak things. Don't you love that? God shows the weak things to shame the strong. Do you ever meet someone that, you know, we had a guy in one of our churches. He was tall and skinny. And I remember going to a rock climbing wall with him. And all the big buff guys were up there, and they're trying to climb the rock walls, and they can't get up. And Chris, man, went up like a spider, just whew. And I remember he's up there hanging on one arm doing pull-ups. And all the guys that were muscular are like, why? Because don't judge a book by its cover. Just because you may be weak doesn't mean you're not strong. Just because you may not appear to be something to others doesn't mean that the Lord can't use you. And I want to tell you something. The Lord will use you when you humble yourself before him. And one of the beauties of the gospel is that the gospel came, the, go the good news of the gospel is this. Actually, the word that's used for gospel, in the, it translated from gospel in the original language, is the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. And, and the gospel is good news because what the gospel is, it's the news that Jesus Christ came to empower us to live a life of overcoming, to live a life of casting all of our shame on him, all of our guilt on him, all the condemnation that you may have felt. That should never be in the life of a believer. If you're living under condemnation, you need to cast that upon the Lord. The Lord wants you to walk in his freedom. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans... In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for what? It, that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then he throws in a little category of who's, who he's coming to. He says, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, why, why, why does Paul say there's a lot of argument and debate on that? But Paul was coming from, he was raised as a, a very righteous Jew. He actually was raised as a rabbi. He was trained under the, the, the greatest of the rabbis of, the, of his day. And he says, I'm going to take the message of the gospel first to the Jews, but then what was the calling that, that was upon Paul's life? Was to take it to the Gentiles. Now, what's, what's the difference between a Jew and a Gentile? How many of you are Jews in this room? I know at least one. Okay. How many of you are Gentiles? Everyone else. We are grafted in. And one of the beauties about being grafted in is actually, you know, in, in, in grafting, the item that is grafted onto a root is stronger than the original tree that it was by itself. Do you know that? So we are grafted in to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul says one of the things that he wants to do is he wants us to, to come into a relationship and understanding that we do not have to live to be ashamed of the gospel. And so, like I said, what is shame? Shame is that feeling of, of I've done something wrong or I, I'm not worthy of it, you know. And the truth of the, of the message of the gospel is this. None of us are worthy of the gospel. It's by his grace that it's been given to us. 
His grace has been given to each and every one of us so that we can have a relationship with Him. And the beauty of that is that we don't have to say, I have to do something about it. You know, I was telling the first service this morning that the, 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 the people that annoy me the most, I love them, but they still annoy me, are the righteous, religious, self-righteous, religious people that think God is so honored to have them as part of His team. You ever met someone like that? Oh, I am so good. God is, is, is blessed to have me on his team. Let me tell you, Scripture says that your righteousness, our righteousness, is as filthy rags. How many of you ever have a filthy rag, you know? We have, we have a, in the back of the, the church, we have a, a maintenance room, and in a, a stainless steel container, all the filthy rags. And every once in a while, the maintenance guy will say, Pastor Dave, can you take these home and, and launder them for me? And, and he'll step on the, the lid to open it, and when he opens it, it is putrid. Gee, thanks, I get to take that into my washing machine, you know. Good thing I have the sanitized cycle, right? But our righteousness is filthy, disgusting rags. But the truth is, God changes all of that, and he takes all that shame and all that remorse and all that condemnation, he says, I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you the abundance of what I have for you. And so what does the Apostle Paul say when, or mean when he says to us, I am not ashamed of the gospel? You know what he's saying? He says, I'm not embarrassed to be associated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed to be associated with the things of the church. I'm not ashamed to be associated with the truth of what the Bible says. I'm not ashamed of that. Now, the truth is, how many of you have ever kind of been ashamed where you haven't? I'm, I'm raising my hand where someone has said something and you didn't stand up for the faith or someone was tearing down the Bible and you didn't say something. That's part of living. But that doesn't mean you have to live under that shame. Because one of the things God wants us to do is to realize that he wants us to not be fearful of being associated with him. You know, a thing I found is that the people that usually come after you the most when you talk about things of the Lord are the closest to the kingdom, you know? And what God wants to do is God wants to use you as his voice to communicate his love and his compassion to other people. You know, because for so long, I don't know about you, but I remember before I was a believer... People that I met from the church, they were scary. They were mean. They were angry. They were yelling at me. I mean, it was just like, wow, if that's what the love of God is, I don't want anything to do with it. You know, I, I don't, that's not what I, I want. I want a God that's like gracious and compassionate. There's enough harsh, angry, mean people out there. I don't need to serve that. You know, I want to serve a God that is a God of love because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and they will know we're Christians. How? By our love. Not by our rage, not by our anger, not by whatever we align ourselves to. They will know we are Christians by our love. And so the Apostle Paul, I love this because he is speaking and in, 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 in the, the reality of who the Apostle Paul was is he was speaking to the church in Rome. Now, what do you know about the church in Rome? The church of Rome was a very powerful uh, church, right? Because where was it? It was in the capital of the Roman Empire. It was like in the Washington, D.C., or whatever capital you associate with power, right? It was in the capital city, and he was where? In jail. The Apostle Paul was in prison. He was under house arrest in Rome, and he wrote these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Think about that. How many of you have been in jail? Don't raise your hands, okay? That may be something you're ashamed of. I had a conversation with someone just this last week who got out of prison, and I was talking to him, and he says, you know, prison was the worst thing and the best thing in my life. I'm going to expand that for me. 
He says, I went to prison. I made some stupid things. He used this word. I was ashamed of what I did. But in prison, I found the grace of Jesus Christ. He said, had I not gone to prison, I probably would have been in a body bag by now. You see, sometimes God uses difficult situations to get our attention. And one of the beauty, beauties that Paul learned and, and, and passes on to us is even though he was in a tough situation, he was on trial for his life. And in the midst of that, he said, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel because I know this, it's the power of God. The same power that transformed his life is the same gospel message that can transform the lives of those around him. And the same gospel message that can transform the lives of those around you. So what does he say? It's interesting because Paul, he wasn't just a religious guy. Paul was kind of the the top of his class. Look what he says in the book of Philippians in chapter 3. Paul, whose name prior to his, his coming to faith was Saul. He was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was a very, very politically connected and religiously connected guy as a matter of fact he was trained by the best of the rabbis of his day he was he was tasked with the 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 mission of wiping out the early christian community right and so what does he say to the church in philippi one of the churches that he was the, the the father of the church plant for them listen to what he says he says if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh i have more now, that's a pretty bold statement, right? You think you have a reason to boast? Let me tell you, your boasting is nothing. I've got more on you than you can even think. And he goes on, he says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What does that mean? In a good Jewish religious system, the ideal time, the most religiously perfect time to be circumcised as a male was on the eighth day. He did that. He says, not only that, of the people of Israel, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, you know? You ever meet someone from another part of the world or another part of the country or even maybe from the city you grew up in? Oh, where do you live? I live on this street. Oh, well, I live on this street. Oh, ha-dee-da, you know? You're so, and, and Paul says, I was of them. And I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So not only was I a good Jew, but I was, I was the elite of the elite in the Jewish sect. And he says this, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. He says, not only that, as for zeal, man, I persecuted those Christians. A lot of scholars believe that in the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, that Paul, actually Saul at the time, Saul was the young rabbi that held the coats of the people that picked up the stones and and killed Stephen for blasphemy. Okay, so that's that's where his, his lineage was. And what happened when Stephen was killed? Do you remember the story? In the midst of being hit with rocks, which was a very common way of killing people for blasphemy, he looked up to heaven and he says, I see the Lord Jesus, you know, shining like the sun. Now, don't you think Saul heard that? And he's standing there holding the coats of the people. He heard someone dying for what they believed, glorifying God, not not cursing the people, throwing stones at them, but saying, I see Jesus, you know, and then he says this. And as for righteousness based on the law, flawless. Paul's pedigree was so perfect that he prided himself in it. But what happened to him? One day he was going out, wiping out the church as he had orders to do. He had orders from Jerusalem to go anywhere he wanted to and to wipe out any Christians, any Christian churches, anything he wanted that he could do, he could use under his power. And on the road to Damascus, 
He's riding on his steed. And what happens? Boom. An encounter with God. An encounter with the divine. At that point, he didn't know who it was, right? So he has this encounter with his divine presence. He's blown off his horse. He's laying on the ground. The people that are with him don't hear anything. But he hears and he says this. He says, Lord, who, who are you? And I love this. This is how you know God has a sense of humor. The Lord says, oh, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. I'll tell you what. I, I bet you Paul was uh, uh, like kind of trembling in his boots right then, you know. You know, did you ever have that? You know, I don't know about you, but I was, I, I had a bigger brother than me. He was four years older than me. And I remember getting a, a, a thing where a guy was picking on me all the time at the, at the, the local uh, basketball court. And one day he was picking on me and he's pushing me around. And I saw my brother walking up behind him. What would that do to me? Well, I had a lot more boldness then, right? I'll tell you what. He, the same look that guy had on his face when my brother turned around and says, what are you doing picking on my brother, was probably a, a much similar view that Saul had when he's laying on the ground and thinking, here I am with a letter from the, from the rabbis in Jerusalem saying, go wipe out Jesus' followers, and I get blown off my horse, and I'm laying on the ground, and I don't know what's happening to me, and all of a sudden I find out, oh, I am Jesus whom you persecute. Hold on to something rubber because lightning's going to hit me, right? No, that's not what happened. What happened to him? He came to faith as a result of that. And as the passion, the same zeal, the same effervescence for wiping out Christianity is the same passion he had for empowering it after that. As a matter of fact, what did, what did Paul do? Paul went around the region, the same region that he was wiping out Christians, he went around and planted churches. Let me tell you, why do we support so many people in foreign countries to, to, to plant churches? Because it's the spread of the gospel. You know, the thing about missions is as missions uh, grows and as missionaries are in countries, we can see like what happened with this whole thing with this global pandemic with COVID. They can just say, you know what? You can't be in our country right now. Get out. But when you support people that are from that country, you can't kick them out. They may face persecution. But the one thing I've learned about believers that face persecution, what happens when they're persecuted for their faith? The gospel spreads. The seeds of persecution are growing churches in regions. And what God did in the Apostle Paul, he wants to do in you and I. He wants us to be bold in our faith, to be emboldened that when persecution comes, we don't cower under it. But we say, you know what, God, you're doing something right. You know, you're hitting a nerve. When you're talking to people about the Lord and they get angry with you, you're touching on a spiritual nerve that's coming to set them free from their bondage. And what the Lord wants to do is not allow you and I to be ashamed of the gospel because the person that you're talking to doesn't understand that the gospel message is what frees them from their bondage. How many of you, before you came to faith, all of a sudden you had this like aha moment where like, wow, if I accepted this message, I could give all my sin to him. I mean, isn't it a beautiful moment? I remember the day, I remember the place, sitting in the back of an American Baptist church, kneeling on the floor. I could take you there today. And I remember kneeling on the floor in front of the pastor and confessing my sins. And I remember it felt like a million pounds taken off of me. And I'll tell you, that's what the Lord wants to do in every one of us. He wants us to be voices who communicate the love and the compassion and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and not be ashamed to be associated with that. You know, you will, I'll tell you, you will face persecution. If you think it's going to be, well, I accept the Lord, and I go out and I talk to people, and they're all going to be embracing, you're living in la-la land, okay? That's not the way it is. 
People will persecute you for it. But know this, the Lord will always be on your side. The Lord will be there. He'll be your defender. He'll be your shield. He'll be your protector. And one of the things that I love about the gospel is that the gospel message always produces fruit. It produces fruit in others, and it'll produce fruit in you. It'll produce a resolve in you not to be swayed by people. Because let me tell you, if you're a people pleaser, talk to person A. They want something to be pleased. Talk to person B. They want something else. Person B doesn't want what person A wants. So what do you do? You serve an audience of one. You say, Lord, I will please you. I will use my life to please you. And you know what's interesting is is the whole concept about how Jesus died on the cross really is the reason why we share our faith. The, The primary reason why we should not be ashamed of the gospel is because of what Jesus did for those that know him. You know, if you go in the Old Testament, I don't have the the passage here, but in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 21 of Deuteronomy, verse 23, it says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. What is that talking about? It's talking about it's a prophetic statement of what the Messiah would do. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come and he'd be put on the cross. He would be hung on a tree. Now think about it. Think about the crucifixion of Jesus. That was not something that you would want to take your kids to, you know. It was a public beating. It was publicly humiliated. It was taken and having to carry the instrument of his own death on his shoulders outside the city gate so that people could see it. And then he was there. He was beaten. He was pummeled, punched in the face, had a crown of thorns put on him, a robe. They mocked him. And then they crucified him and hoisted him up in front of people nude. Don't you think that's shameful? You know? And he says, I will do that because I love people enough to transfer all of that shame upon myself. Now, what was Jesus referred to by the prophets? As a spotless, sinless Lamb of God. Here is one who is perfectly pure, and he traded all of the shame not just of your shame, but of all of humanity. Right now we have, what, 7.2 billion people on the planet. I don't know how many people have lived through the course of history, but billions and billions of people. He took all of that shame and all of their sin and put it on himself so that you and I wouldn't have to live in shame. And then he says this. He says, this is what is so beautiful. The Apostle Paul, coming from that tradition... He says, I am not going to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God and the salvation. And then he, it's interesting because the book of Hebrews, which if you understand the history of the Bible, Hebrews was a book written to the Jewish audience of the day. And in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, in verse 1, 2, and 3, it says this. It says, therefore, excuse me, chapter 12, not verse 13, chapter 12, verse 1 through th- uh, 3 It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses that we're surrounded by? Those who went before you in the faith, the apostle Paul, all the other apostles, all the early church fathers, Bob Sava, right? He's he's up there right now saying, go on, baby, go on. Not hitting his no button anymore. He's going positive, right? Dan Benz, Cecile Benz. Any of your family members that have preceded you in death, that knew the Lord, they're up there. They're a cloud of witnesses. And he's saying, because you're surrounded by them, 
throw off all of that stuff. Throw off all of those things that would weigh you down so that you wouldn't talk to people about the Lord. Because you've got a, a chorus of witnesses around you. You've got an amphitheater full of people cheering you on to tell others about the faith so they could come into that cloud. And he says, and then also those sins that so easily entangle you. You know, if we would do a, an honest, open dialogue right now, and we would say, what is the sin that easily entangles you? Each of us in this room would tell us there's one thing that we really stumble and fall on, right? And most likely to be different from all of us. There may be some similar things, but each person has a certain thing that, that causes them to stumble and fall. And the Lord says, I will remove those from you. And he says, and let us do what? Let us run with perseverance. You know what running with perseverance means? When you get that cramp in your side, you keep going. When the dogs chase you, you just go around the church, the street, you know? When I was running in high school, we used to run on a route that I think the coach took us there on purpose. There were wild roosters, banshee roosters, Kim, and they would chase you and they would peck at you and the coach would sit in his car and laugh as we were running fast. I think it was just a speed drill for us, you know? The obstacles that come in your way, you persevere through them. Why? He says this, because you fix your eyes upon Jesus. Let me tell you something. The reason we're not ashamed of the gospel is because we're not looking for approval of people. We're looking for approval of the Lord. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus, as the song says, those things of earth become strangely dim. And then he says this. He says, who is Jesus? He's the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. He is the one that can help your faith to grow and mature. He is the one that allows you to see things in people that they don't even see in themselves. He is the one that allows you to see into the souls of people that you're with that they need to come to a, a relationship with the Lord because they're living under shame, they're living under guilt, they're living under condemnation. And that has never, ever been the plan of God for humanity. God's plan is that we would live in freedom with Him, we'd live in relationship with Him, we'd live in a, in a, in a, a state of communion with Him. But when you're under shame, I mean, do you remember as a kid when you did something you were embarrassed of? And you're around the person that you did it to, you can't even look them in the eye, right? And the Lord says, that's not what I want. I want you to what? To fix your eyes upon me. That you don't have to be a sh going around, oh, Jesus is in the house. I, I can't look at him. No, he wants you to fix your eyes upon him. You know why? Because when you look in the eyes of Jesus, you know what you see? You see pure love. You see a sense of compassion that even though you're not worthy, and none of us are, myself included, None of us are worthy of what Christ did for us. But he says, you know why I did it? Because I have an incredible love and compassion for you. You know, 1 Corinthians tells us that you are the gospel that is read of all people. You know, and the truth is, some people will never open up a Bible until they see the love of Jesus in our eyes toward them. And I want to challenge us. I really believe the Lord's stirring us as people to, to not be ashamed of the gospel. But use it as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ to people. You know? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what's going to happen. You're going to run across people that are very unloving. And the Lord's going to speak to you and say, that's the person I want you to begin loving. That's the person I want you to share the love of Christ with. That's the person I want you to not be ashamed of the gospel around. And what's going to happen is they will not like it at first. 
But like a snow cone out on a hot, sunny day, they're going to start to melt. And as they start to melt and some of the hardness comes off, they're going to be more open. But I'll tell you what else is going to happen. They're going to, they're going to start really pushing your button to really test and see if you're really the person you say you are. And you know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to tell you, don't look at them, look at me. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Let him be the author and perfecter of your faith. Let him be the one that leads you in the conversation with him. And I'll tell you what you should do. When you're, when you're around that person and they're asking you questions, ask your, or just say this to yourself. Lord, give me words that come from you. Don't be thinking ahead of what you're going to say to them. Just ask the Lord, Lord, give me your mind on this situation. And if they ask you a question and they say, well, what about this? And you don't know the answer, just say, hey, that's a really great, great question. I don't know how to answer that right now, but let me go back and let me, study the, let me study the scriptures and see what scripture says, and let's meet again. And what you're doing is you're telling them that I'm interested in you enough to go research, go study, go learn more so I can answer your question. And not just flip off and give them an answer that doesn't really mean anything. But, you know, the Lord is calling us to love people in such a way that it's inconvenient for us. Do you hear me? The Lord wants you to love people when it's inconvenient for you. And the inconvenience is this. You've died to self, and now you're alive to Him. So when you think of the gospel, what is the gospel? If we're truly people that represent the gospel, we should be people that bring the good news to people. Think about when you gave your life to Christ. Think about how good it was to hear that all of your sins were forgiven. Not some of them, not most of them, but every single one of your sins has been forgiven. Think about the debt that you owe right now. Think about if Jeff Bezos come up to you and said, you know what, I want to pay off all your debt. I want to pay off your home debt, your car debt, your loan debt, all of your debt, not just your debt, but the debt of your children and your children and your children's children. And he says, I've got all this money, I'm going to put it in a trust fund, and it's just going to pay off all of your debt. You would be so thankful, wouldn't you? But let me tell you, the Lord's done more than paid off your financial debt. He's paid off the debt that would send you to hell. And he says, I want you to be communicators of that to other people. So I want to pray for us this morning. Lord, I, I come before you right now this morning, and I just ask and pray that you will help us as men and women to not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that... Is that my mic? Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just empower us to love you in ways that we transcend the roadblocks that people have put up about the gospel. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be courageous in standing up and identifying with you. That, Lord, we would not be fearful of, of what others may think about us, but, Lord, we'd realize that just like we may have had scorn and and bad feelings about the people that shared the gospel with us, that, Lord, it was when we had our eyes brought to the truth of what the gospel is, that it's the power of God to save us. 
that, Lord, we would continue to talk to them and love them. Lord, you're not calling us to force feed the message of the gospel down their throat. You're calling us to be examples of Christ to them. And Lord, Scripture says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And I pray that, Lord, you would bring people in our path that need to know you. Lord, for some of us right now, you're speaking to our hearts about some of our coworkers. You're speaking to us about our family members that don't know you. You're speaking about people that we're involved with on a, a daily or a weekly basis through gyms and grocery shopping and coffee shops and places that we visit on a regular basis, Lord. You're calling us to begin to ask the Lord to speak to them through us. And God, I pray that we would not be fearful because you did not give us a spirit of fear. But Lord, you gave us a spirit of, of love and of self-discipline and a sound mind. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn how to speak the words of your message to people that don't know you. Lord, let them look into our eyes and see the eyes of Jesus. Let them have conversations with us. And Lord, let our conversations be filled with grace and love and acceptance and not shame or guilt and condemnation. Lord, let us be people that when we open our mouths, people hear the love of Christ flowing through our words. Lord, I pray that you would stir in us a desire to just to be voices for you to people who don't have any voices speaking to them. And Father, I pray that the, uh, the Holy Spirit would, would just softly and tenderly touch our hearts and our minds and highlight people to us. That, Lord, the people that you are stirring, that we may not even be aware that you're stirring, that, God, you would talk to us and allow us to be Jesus in flesh to them. Lord, let us be the letters that are read by everyone that we come in contact with. Let us be Jesus to those that don't know him. And, Lord, I pray for a, a, a supernatural endowment of your love. Baptize us anew in your love, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Stand with us as we worship. We respond to you, Jesus. We respond. We ask you, Holy Spirit. Fill us anew and pour out of us. Our Father, all of heaven roars your name. Sing louder. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. The sound of heaven touching earth. Our Father, all of heaven roars your name. Sing louder. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. The sound of 
Eternity is at people's doorstep. I just want you to remember that as we go into our week, that's why the enemy wants to make us ashamed of the gospel so that we don't tell others about the love of Jesus. And even as we know through the event of this week in San Jose, eternity is at the doorstep of people. So can we... Be committed with the love of God to tell people about Jesus. Because eternity is at the doorstep. All of us, all of us. Lord, we are committed just as Paul wrote in Romans. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. And so, Lord, we just... We surrender ourselves to you. And Lord, we don't have to do some great thing, but do small things with great love. It's in the small thing with great love. And that's what you want us to commit to do, is those small opportunities to share who Jesus is. Lord, we commit to that today with great love. For people, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. So bless the people as they go into their mission field. Lord, I know you're going to anoint them to share your good news. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Prayer, if you would like prayer, prayer teams, please come up here and I'm available also to pray with you. King Jesus, you hear the name we're lifting high, your glory, shaking up the earth and skies, revival, we want to see your kingdom to see your kingdom here, King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high, your glory, shaking up the earth and skies, revival, we want to see your kingdom